There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. You are listening to The Grill. We are coming to you live from our summer home at Kicker Sports Bar, Dubai Sports City. It is myself, Chris McCarty, standing in for Tom Ucker. He is off on a well-deserved summer vacation. Between now and six, though, fear not, we've got it all covered from a live sporting perspective. All eyes, of course, on Royal Port Russia. It is the 148th Open Championship. We'll discuss what we've seen and we'll keep you bang up to date with what we are about to see over the course of the next few hours. There's pre-season friendlies aplenty as well. Kick-off in that English Premier League Asia Trophy final between Wolves and Manchester City. That one getting underway in 20 minutes' time. There's also the small matter of the Netball World Cup semi-finals. Australia going up against South Africa. It's England against New Zealand. Rugby Championship action as well gets underway a little later this evening. South Africa against Australia, 5 past 7 kick-off. And then later this evening, over in Argentina, it is Argentina going up against the almighty All Blacks. There's boxing to discuss as well. Manny Pacquiao taking on Keith Thurman later this evening into tomorrow morning on that one. We'll preview all of that and we will look back on the week that was. No doubt the big story this past week. I take you back to last Sunday, the Wimbledon final between Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer and an ICC Cricket World Cup final that will live long in the memory. Stay with us. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye 103.8 app. Certainly can. 4001, join the conversation. You can pick up the phone as well. If you want to have your say on any of the big uh, talking points and big topics, then you can do just that. 04871 It promises to be a frenetic few hours ahead. An awful lot to discuss in the world of sport and I'm delighted to say that I've got a few special guests with me as well to help me along the course. I'll start with a man who was the former deputy sports editor of the Mail Online as we always like to point out. It was the number one website when he was there. It's number two now. It's the one and only Matthew Fortune. Thanks very much Chris. I think I come on just so you can say that every single time. I, I appreciate love it. It's my little <laughs> way of just saying to you well done my friend. Thanks bud. I appreciate it. And it's only gone one way since you left and that is down. But Matthew Fortune is with us. Plenty to discuss with Matthew you and yes Matt we're going to have to do it we will tackle Arsenal at some stage and Laurent Kachelny and all the rest of it that's still to come this afternoon and alongside myself and Matthew you heard his dulcet tones last week we've brought him back this week the former media manager of the Springbok 95 through to 2000 former media manager of the British and Irish Lions as well in 2001 it's everyone's favourite Aussie it's Alex Broom. <laughs> That's very kind of you, thank you. Alex, Thanks, great to have you with us today. And it's fitting that we bring you in today because the Rugby Championship, it all kicks off a little later tonight. Excited for what we've got in store? Listen, it's, it's always a great pleasure when you get to see the All Blacks play. And we'll get to see the All Blacks play uh, later on today um, at 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, the Wallabies in the box, well the Wallabies have given the box tremendous motivation, or the Australian media has by <laughs> labelling this box team a B team, yeah. and uh, looking at some of the players on that side, I'd never call it a B team, it's Ellis Park, but somehow the Australian media thinks the Wallabies are going to win, so I don't know what dreamland they're living in, but uh, yeah, listen, it's going to be great, and also the New Zealand, the All Black Maoris have been playing Fiji today and taking a bit of revenge there, the All Black Maori have come out of top, and then as you said too, the Netball World Cup, right at the moment, seven minutes into the third quarter, Australia 37. South Africa coming back 30 so it's a very tight one there it's a big double header Australia versus South Africa today. we will keep an eye on that one it is a rugby championships day and that is 
as I say, one of the reasons that Alex is here. But your your sporting knowledge, it stretches far and wide, boys. And, and listen, I want to start on one place. Before we look ahead and before we give you an update on all the live sport, if we can, gentlemen, let us look back. I want to take you both back to last Sunday. I think Robbie Greenfield on Off Script this past week said that probably, just probably, that hour between 9.30 and 10.30 last Sunday night was probably the most dramatic hour in sport that he's ever witnessed. Where were you boys when Novak Djokovic was beating Roger and where were you when New Zealand were going toe-to-toe -to -toe with England in the Cricket World Cup final? Well, I made the excellent decision, Chris, of staying at work late, <laughs> but having stolen my wife's laptop, was able to stream both games for the most part up until about 8.30, 9 o'clock when I managed to escape and head over to the Down Anchor, which was, it was one of those funny feelings where Obviously, we all have a raucous atmosphere, but there was so much disbelief in the place that it was almost an eerily quiet atmosphere <laughs> at times because people were just switching heads, screen to screen to screen. And then you see things, of course, the nudge from Stokes that he mistakenly did, the way that Roger gave up those match points. People, it was like head in hands moment. And for that, it was, was just incredible to feel everybody's collective anxiety about what's going to happen. It was brilliant. It's very rare, Alex, do we see two finals that, that have so much... I guess action so much not so much in the way of controversy but just it was a thriller you could not take your eyes as Matt rightly points out off of both screens because if you did you would miss something it was extraordinary well listen I had just had the tennis scores going but uh, I was just too uh, enraptured by the cricket it was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen and just when you think okay it's all over New Zealand are going to win England would come back just when you think England are going to win New Zealand would come back it was incredible right through the actual innings itself right to the last over the incredible the bat coming off Ben Stokes's balls and go, uh, ball and going for four runs was unbelievable and then the super over you know when Nisham hit the six yeah. I mean it was all on again it was like it was just the most incredible thing Joffre Archer being asked to bowl the over it was the most remarkable game of cricket one of the most remarkable I've ever seen. It goes back to, of course, 1999, yeah. Australia and South Africa in that ridiculous semi-final, which we'll never forget, of course. But uh, this was an incredible game of cricket, and uh, it certainly was a wonderful finish to the tournament. Now, you are a proud Aussie. May I ask, who were you cheering for, England or New Zealand? Listen, I, yeah, I, I was happy in the end to see England win because I think it's a great team, and I think they've been really good over the last four years. And they also fought their way back during the tournament. They got thrashed by Australia, of course. Yeah. Everyone thought they had the whole of England on their back. And I was there in the, the 2015 Rugby World Cup, and I know what it was like that for when, when England started to go bad in that World Cup and the whole of England just turned on them. And the same thing happened to these cricketers, but they managed to find a way out of it, which I, I thought was absolutely remarkable, and they fought their way back. So, listen, it was an incredible... Game. It would have been incredible for New Zealand to win, and also it stops New Zealand winning the double because there was a very good chance <laughs> if they won the Cricket World Cup, they're going to go on and win the Rugby World Cup. So it would have, uh, you know, it would have stopped them winning the double. But just an amazing game of cricket at the home of cricket, a beautiful day, and the tournament needed it. Yeah. Listen, let's all let's let's all add it up. It wasn't a very spectacular tournament all up. It dragged on and on and on. There was a lot of rain. <laughs> India getting knocked out in the semi-finals, of course. But, you know, if New Zealand had done it, if they'd beaten India in the semi-final and then beaten England in the final, they would have been worthy world champions. And Kane Williamson as well. And yeah, the whole of the New Zealand two mm. team 
doing a great service to that country. I mean, they held themselves throughout the tournament. They are the benchmark that all other cricketing nations, I think, need to look at in terms of how they conduct themselves both on the pitch and off it. As a proud Englishman, though, Matthew, here's a little <laughs> stat for you. And I guess it makes sense because I think most of these sports were created by the Brits. But <laughs> World Cup in soccer, 19... I say soccer, football, jeepers. I've been spending far too much time listening to Americans. Uh, the Football World Cup, 1966, England won it. The 2003 Rugby World Cup final, of course, you won it. You become the first nation to win all three of those World Cups. Oh, Cricket, rugby and football. That's a very good point. Shame about the abject failure that has punctuated every <laughs> other sport in between times and wretched underachievement. But, uh, but hey-ho, we'll see what happens in this Rugby World Cup, I think. You're absolutely right. I was watching with a couple of Kiwis who I work with, and the way that it ebbed and flowed, and you could feel them getting so confident about it and actually they were ruffling my hair every single time something happened to the English and then when it, it finally happened and England won uh, somebody sitting next to me an Englishman leant over and said she's not ruffling your hair now <laughs> <laughs> it just it totally unified people there was no I know it's different it's not like watching football where there's very often bad blood between sets of supporters yeah. but it absolutely unified everybody where I was watching it and I think Something like that, and it's such a terrible cliche, but there were really no losers of that because New Zealand were overachieving being where they were, being that close to winning it, that actually they do leave with absolute pride in everything that they achieved. And so uniting everybody in that sense, even my mum, bless her, in, in London, she... I'm not entirely sure she even knows what cricket is or could explain it, but I got a message saying, your father and I have cancelled dinner plans, we're watching the cricket, and I, it was brilliant. It just, it just seeped through everything, and, and for that reason, we started the conversation saying, is it one of the most dramatic elements of sport? I think it absolutely is, because you could watch sport for the rest of your life, and that's what's so good about it, and every single minute you'll see something different that you've never seen before. A super over, none of us knew what it was. Yeah. A ball running away for, well, should have been five, but actually six, you've never seen it before. A wide off the first delivery of this. Every single thing that happened, a misfield on the fifth, yeah. fourth, fifth delivery. You just kept thinking, how is this gonna happen? It's that classic thing, sport, you can't write it. I don't think anybody could have written that. You would have, you would have been laughed out of a studio if you said we're going to make a film about that day. It was, it was amazing. It was, it's, it's, always a, it's such a great sporting event like that. It's always the little details. Yeah. It's always the little details. And, of course, Ben Stokes was lucky to be there. Uh, you know, there was all the incidents the, the off New the Zealand field. New Zealand-born Ben exactly. Stokes, another well, element you know, the New Zealand-born, the Christchurch-born <laughs> Ben Stokes and also the Australian coach, Trevor Bayliss. Yeah. I mean, there's a fascinating <laughs> story. And just looking up at Trevor Bayliss, watching in that last over, thinking, what is Trevor Bayliss? What's going through his mind? Because he's coached this team for four years. He's already stepped down. He's announced already he's stepping down. And, you know, for him, I think it was a great reward for what he's done for this team for four years. Absolutely. It's been, a, as you rightly point out, it's been a success that has been built on the previous four years. England, of course, disappointing in 2015. They went away, they looked at it, and there's no doubt from a batting lineup point of view, and they proved it with Joffrey Archer, Mark Wood as well. They've got the bowling attack to match it as well. Great advert for cricket. I don't want to labour on this point. We've done already that this week in terms of the way that it all finished I will ask you though it is a bit of a shame the number of boundaries has essentially settled an absolute thriller that rule needs to be looked at correct I'm actually okay with it I mean are how you really yeah how other way are you going to split it they were even after 50 overs they were even after the super over how other what other way are you going to split it rather than sort of disciplinary which you could can't you not really could you not do another super over no, would that not be fair I, just, well, I don't know I, I, I for me and when, what if that's tied again? You know, I mean, you I know. You keep going. <laughs> you keep on going, and we can watch some more brilliant sport for the rest of the evening. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I think ultimately cricket is a game of getting runs on the board. At no point do you win a game for fewer wickets. So it does feel like it's the only thing 
that you can measure when it is so tight. But I do think a second super over, you almost you, you remove your, your two batsmen that have gone in already and you go to the next two. I think that just adds to the drama. You yeah. have to separate them. There was an argument, bizarrely, by people saying, when it's that close after that period of time, after seven weeks of a tournament, should we split the winnings? which I thought was crazy. Yeah. So I think that's the only way that you can do. Just keep on prolonging it. Give us fans even more that we want to watch. I was a bit disappointed with the Wimbledon final as well. And, and again, before anyone mm. takes in on 4 one <laughs> saying you're just saying this because you're a Roger Federer fan, Chris, I was disappointed yeah. there that at 12-all, and I understand the reasons why Wimbledon, after, well, John Eisner, Kevin Anderson and Nicholas Mahout, we've got those three gentlemen to blame for the changes at Wimbledon. I get it during the tournament. You do not want to see a player coming into the semi-finals or the final absolutely knackered. I get it. But in a final, after four hours and 57 minutes, ebbing and flowing, Novak Djokovic would serve. The pressure would then transfer over to Roger. Can he hold serve? It was just, it was epic to watch. It was absolutely sporting theatre at its best. And then 12-all were into a tie-break. It just left me, obviously, because Roger lost, but it did leave me a little flat. I just felt it kind of cheated us a yeah, little bit. I've got to go with that. I've got to agree with you there. I think that uh, it's the final. They should keep playing. as they, Even if it gets to 24-22, or, you know, I, I agree. I think you've got two great athletes who can, who can survive the longest, who has the greatest stamina. So uh, I'm with you on that one. You're absolutely right. And the problem... And it's, it's such a quirk of the game that it was, is that Roger had lost two tie breaks already in the game. Yeah. So the mentality of that, when it, it just, it's just a big switch up. I did think it was completely unfair. You're absolutely right. These guys haven't got to come back tomorrow and go into a next round. I think just keep on extending, keep on extending. Maybe find a way that you can change the order of who's serving first and who's having to serve to stay in the match every single time to give that element of fairness, I guess, as it drags on and on and on. But I do think it got to 12 all, and actually I'd forgotten because the, the cricket was the main audio where I was watching it, I'd actually forgotten that that was going to be the case. And then it happened, and you're like, oh. And yeah. it, it did feel a little bit flat. It left me a little bit cold because it, it did hand initiative back to Djokovic because of what had happened earlier in that day. Novak Djokovic, let's discuss him briefly because uh, I think we're all in agreement. Wonderful advert for cricket. Interesting you, though, Alex, saying that you actually think that the most boundaries is a fair way. 4-0-0-1, get involved in this one. I appreciate it's long after the fact. We're six days now in England, rightly so, celebrating and New Zealand for what was an incredible advert for the game of cricket. From a tennis perspective, though, whilst we give Kane Williamson, Owen Morgan and the rest of those boys all the credit in the world, Novak Djokovic is a character who polarises opinion. He said it in his after-match press conference where he said, I had to visualise that people were chanting my name and not Rogers because inside that inside that Wimbledon centre court it was a partisan crowd majority of whom wanted Roger to win yeah. listen I actually like Novak Djokovic I've got nothing against him yeah okay he polarizes people he's controversial but he's not Nick Kyrgios no that's the reality <laughs> no, okay he's true. actually someone who yeah some of his behavior is a little bit beyond the pale but he's someone who can back it up with performances on the on the tennis pit on the tennis court and also he does that with regularity he comes up in the big big matches and I've seen him do this before I remember the very famous final down in Australia when he was absolutely gone 11 o'clock at Nadal. night 35 degrees yeah. absolutely gone and somehow he fought himself fought yeah. back and won one and it was the same thing against Federer the same thing against Federer how he fought and fought and fought and never gave up so I actually like Doc Djokovic and I think he is good for the game where I don't think Kyrgios is and I think he's a great player a great character and congratulations to him and I'm not the biggest Roger Federer fan I just think 
You're not. No, he's oh, just, Alex. Oh, you can't come on here and say that in front of Chris. Oh, listen, he's, he's just too much of a Swiss watch for me. He's just, oh. It's all too machine-like. Oh, I mean, there's on, something no. deep and dark down there. We just haven't found it yet. But, you know, so I, I was happy to see Djokovic win. He's a happy man. Were you happy? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I adore Roger. I just, the effortlessness that goes into everything he does. He's charming. He's sophisticated. He's a handsome man. He's suave. And he just, just everything about him just oozes class. He's, he's your archetypal sportsman because he's not brash. He's not arrogant. Yeah. He just gets it done and does it with such a brilliant start. I mean, I have nothing against Novak at all. I've had the pleasure of meeting Novak. Very nice guy. I've seen him in an environment with fans. Always very welcoming. I do... I did spare a little thought for him, actually, being in a crowd where it's not, you know, Roger's not British, he's not from Wimbledon, it's none of that, and to, and to feel so much like yeah. you're the away team in an environment like that, and to come back from the match points that he had to save, I think deserves an enormous credit. I can't quite put my finger on, you look at other divisive characters that are successful, someone like Lewis Hamilton, you can see where that dislike or the the wariness comes from from fans, but from Novak, he's never really done anything beyond what you would expect a top-level sportsman to, to do. He's, he's had some temper tantrums, of course he has, but time and time again, and you touched on it there, he pulls it out of the bag when you really think that he's up against it. So to anybody who loves sport, I feel like he should be universally liked, but there's just something, and I, and I genuinely can't put my finger on it. Does he try too hard, perhaps? I know that's been levelled against him. Well, I think you've got to have a good guy and a bad guy. In every sport, we need a good guy, and you know, it's right. because Federer is the good guy, so much the good guy, that someone has to play the bad guy, and it is Djokovic. And also, Djokovic is a little bit more edgy than Rafael Nadal as well, because you've got yes. to include the trio in you're this. Absolutely, yeah. I think and that's so, absolutely you know, nailed on. Yeah, you're get, absolutely right. He gets the bad boy edge when he really isn't. Listen, he's done some odd things off the, off the, off the pitch as well, off the field as well, which people might sort of struggle to survive, to understand. Mm. But, you know, I think he's quality, and, and he's a great, great, great sportsman uh -huh. who produces on the field. And I'll throw it out there as well, and you said it right there, Alex, he does produce it. Is there a more clutch individual in all of sport when we talk about and it's the intangibles I appreciate that what's between the ears it's very difficult to label that it's very difficult to write that down because it's obviously it's it's a mentality there's no doubt though Novak if you look across his career he is robust more than I think a Tom Brady I think of what Tom Brady's done throughout Ooh. his career he's clutch <laughs> he's but Novak Djokovic I mean two match points I think Robbie rolled out the start that I think it's the first time a Wimbledon champion has won, having saved match points since 1948, wow. for goodness sake. Wow. This is a man who was up against it, and he just seems to be able to go into a spot in his mind that you give, and compare and contrast that with someone like Rory McIlroy, who I know we'll touch on as we go this afternoon. But also Serena. Serena, Serena against Simona Halep just fell apart in an she unbelievable did. heap. I think it's that thing that tennis players have to have, which they cannot think about the scoreboard. And I know that's easy to say, but they cannot think about the scoreboard. Because if he thinks about it for a split second, he's gone. And somehow he just put that totally out of his mind. It's almost like to win it, you have to not care about winning it. Yeah. You have to say, okay, I don't care if I win this. I'm just going to play. I'm going to play my point the way I would play it. And I agree with you. To be able to switch off and do that like he did was absolutely extraordinary. The, the mentality and, mm. and the mental fortitude, I think is the word I'm looking for, that you need at tennis because it ebbs and flows. We saw in that match the momentum. Because the, the nature of a tennis match, every point, and my, and my missus was watching it with me, and she was like, why are you not celebrating? I'm not celebrating because it's only 15 love. <laughs> you need to get four points to win a game in tennis. But the nature of it, 
and I'll put it out there, maybe boxing, maybe the cycling for the mental strength you require there, but the ability to shrug off when the momentum goes in the opposite, in yeah. the opposite corner, it must be so difficult. You have to back yourself, I think, and this might be a little bit off, but comparing Roger, who it feels like a natural gift that he's just honed, uh, Nadal, you feel like there's just that natural power that he's just honed over. And Djokovic always strikes me as a guy that's had to really work hard to be really, really good. It's not he didn't he didn't have access to the best facilities like your Rogers, like your Rafa's had, and he's really had to work. And yeah. so he's known what it's like to go into those depths to try and find it. So he can shut everything out. You're right. That idea that it is, and again, cliche alert. You just play the next point. And I think because he knows that he know he's worked so hard to be able to control tennis matches, he just thinks it's just the next one. You don't have to worry about it. And therefore, it almost doesn't go that shredded out into his mind. You look at any kind of endurance sport, it's always about the control that you have. And tennis, a championship final, is an endurance sport. It's a physical sport, but it's also the endurance in your mind of just, okay, I just, I just need to win the next two points. I won yeah. two a couple of, a couple of hours the, ago. It's no problem. The really interesting thing, though, is in tennis is you have to keep going for the big shots. Yeah. You can't just go into your shell and say, OK, I'll just knock the ball back over the, over the net because you're going to get smashed. Yeah. So you've got to go for the line. You've got to go for that extra foot. You've got to go for that extra pace. You have to do it. You have to keep going for the big shots or you're going to lose. And, that's, and that's, that's the real amazing thing about tennis these days. And, and the amazing thing as well, and, and final word on this, and let us know 4-0-0 your thoughts. Perhaps you've got a, a hypothesis why... Novak Djokovic isn't as liked as perhaps Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal. The other thing, and this all will always amaze me, and this separates the great from the good and the good from us here who are sitting talking about sport, is the ability to raise your game when it matters most. And Ben Stokes, and the final word to him, I think it was he that said in his little uh, chat that he had with Nasser Hussein in the wake of that success, he said, I live for moments. As a sportsman or woman, you live for moments when you are required to step up and produce it on the big stage. And, and in the case of England, in the case of Novak Djokovic, in the case of Roger, in the case of New Zealand, for goodness sake, these individuals have the ability, time after time, with the watching world yeah. looking on, when the pressure, when the stakes are so high, to produce it. And I doff my cap to every one of them. It, it's the example. Who was the fielder that misfielded for England in that Super Jason Roy. Jason, Jason Roy. Roy. And yeah. then the ball comes back to him, the very mm. next ball. The elite sportsmen say, make sure that next one comes to me, because I want to get it. I'm going to get it clean. I'm yeah. going to get it exactly where it needs to be. Those of us, as you say, that sit and talk, go, please don't put that anywhere near me. <laughs> please, please, please. That's why team sports are great, because I'm going to go and hide somewhere yeah. else. <laughs> it's about stepping up and making it your moment. Novak's done it time and time again. And in the case of England, Owen Morgan and his boys did it last Sunday as well. Keep your thoughts coming in on 4001. When we come back, I'm going to give you a quick update on what's going on from a live perspective. Team news as well. There's some big pre-season friendlies that are about to kick off as well. So we'll give you details on that. And as always, if you've got a thought, any thought whatsoever, join the conversation 4001. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. We are live from Kickers Sports Bar, where we have been throughout the summer and we will be for the next two and a half hours. Kickers Sports Bar, located down here at Dubai Sports City. Some wonderful happy hour deals on as well. 15 plus big screens dotted around this magnificent little venue down here in Dubai Sports City. So if you're at a loose end and there's an awful lot of sport on the big screens, do pop on down. Talking of some of the live sport, kick off on a couple of high profile pre-season friendlies. Of course, we continue to build up to the brand new 
football season. August 9th is when the Premier League kicks off Liverpool going up against Norwich in that opening match. Matthew Fortune's across the team news because Wolves taking on Manchester City. That's the English Premier League Asia Trophy final and Manchester United are in action against Inter Milan. Let's start if we can Matthew with Wolves against City. Yes, Chris. So we'll start. We're in Shanghai for that. As you say, it's City against Wolves in the Asia Trophy. A couple of uh, unfamiliar names in the City lineup, uh, starting through the middle. So you've got Adrian Bernabe is starting as one of the three in behind Raheem Sterling through the middle. Bernabe actually impressed uh, for City already in pre-season, helping a hand in a couple of goals as they beat West Ham. He's a Spanish teenager. He starts on the right, Leroy Sane on the left, and as I say, Raheem Sterling through the middle. In between those players, you've got Eva Iron... Look. Ian Paveda, sorry, an English teenager who can count Arsenal and Barcelona among his youth teams, but was signed for City from Brentford, <laughs> a championship side. So he's in there at number 10. Further back in the team, you've got Claudio Bravo's in goal, a back four of Danilo Stones, Laporte and Zinchenko, and then Rodrigo, the big summer signing. Club record, I believe, he is alongside Kevin De Bruyne, who captains the side today. Uh, in the heart of midfield. A strong team that from City. Interested to see Rodri starting in that middle of the park alongside a Kevin De Bruyne who is looking to get back to his best form because it's quite incredible to think Manchester City did what they did last season and yet Kevin De Bruyne was on the periphery for much of it. It's They're just an incredible club. I mean, as a Liverpool fan myself, they drove me nuts last year, but you know, <laughs> they're harder to kill than the Night King. You know, they just, you know... Where's Maisie when you need her? They were just remarkable last year and they just have an ethic, a winning ethic about them, a work ethic about them. It just makes them machines. And, you know, some of the players there you're reading out the team, I don't know them, but they'll still play yeah. like an absolute machine. You know they'll what? still all play when they pull on that light blue jersey. They're going to play like Superman. Yeah, Pep Guardiola, he is a genius at that. It is fluid. There is no... Well, there's no kind of, I guess, issues whenever he rotates. He brings in players. Young players know their role specifically as well. They are a joy to watch. You're absolutely right, Alex. As for Wolves, though, and Wolves are a fine team. Nuno yeah, Santos, absolutely. what a job he did last year. Brought them up to the Premier League. Of course, they had a top eight finish. Strong team for them? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And this is a side that I'm really interested to watch as an Arsenal fan, and, and so should you, Chris, as a Manchester United fan, because the Premier League this season, I think you're going to be looking at Wolverhampton Wanderers Leicester. and Leicester City to really be knocking very, very hard on that top six door. I really worry for, for my beloved Arsenal, I really do. But as you say, it's a strong side. So you've got Rui Patricio in goal. You've got a back four then of Bennett, Bowley, Cody, um, sorry, and Morgan Gibbs-White as well. The young, talented, is Welsh, I believe, Gibbs-White. Yeah. Incredibly quick. Very impressive player. Ahead of him, Adama Traore, Raul Moutinho and Diego Jota in, uh, in the middle. Raul Moutinho as well. It's a really strong side. And I think, I know it's only the Asia Trophy, Chris, but you get a win over the champions yeah. in something like this, especially with all the talk about you being the team that's going to knock on the door of that top four. It will be a real marker for them. As we are, we're five minutes in. We haven't had any goals yet, but we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Yeah, the match is on down here. Being Sports 11, it is Wolves taking on Manchester City. As I say, if you've got no plans, pop on down. All the sport leading all all the way through the Rugby Championship and yes they've got the golf on down here as well the 148th Open Championship we'll give you an update on that in just a moment Manchester United into Milan no Romelu Lukaku today mm. because he well a lot's been said <laughs> and he could well be an Inter Milan player before a ball is kicked in anger in that Serie A season team news in that one yeah so United this is their third pre-season obviously two 
good wins, impressive wins. Absolutely. Wins that will certainly galvanise a team that are, are sort of shrouded in controversy, really, and not a lot of hope. Uh, but they strong. It's a strong start for them. David De Gea, we expect him to sign a new contract in the coming weeks for, for absolutely monstrous money. So, uh, so he better start delivering, not the David De Gea that we saw last year. He starts in goals. You've got the summer signing Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Axel Tunzenbe. Yep. Said that right? Yep. Thank you very much. And, and Lindelof and Luke Shaw make up the back four. Matic and Pogba, they'll sit at the base of midfield. And then the very exciting Dan James, he'll start on the right. Martial and Lingard make up the three, all sitting in behind Marcus Rashford. Big time for Marcus Rashford, I think. Always wanted to play at number nine. Doesn't like being shunted out to the, far, to the flanks at all. Two goals already in pre-season with Lukaku in the stadium, but not in the squad, citing injury. We expect a big performance from Marcus. He's obviously signed a new contract. There is a number nine slot ready and waiting for mm, him. You're absolutely right. Into Milan as well. Handanovic in goals. D'Ambrio, De Vries and Skriniar, who I'm a huge fan of. I think he is a wonderful centre-half. And then the two wing-backs, Kandreva and Dalbert. And then it's Sensi, Brozovic and Gagliari. And then up front, it's Samuel Longo and Sebastiano Esposito. We'll give an update as we go throughout the day. Any goals that are scored in either of those matches, Wolves against Manchester City, and it is Manchester United against Inter Milan. As a Liverpool fan, Alex, Manchester United don't worry you this season, do they? Listen, you're always worried by Manchester United. Um, I mean, it's 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 nice to see them down where they are at the moment, but listen, that was a good result against Leeds. 4-0, it was a good result. And you just think, you look at the players that are there in that side, and you think, well, it's got to click for them at some point. It was interesting when they've got the you know the odds for who's going to be the, the first sacked manager of the year. Uh, Skullshy was the second, yeah, uh, which, which is interesting. So who, I think who, that there's... Who was that top, Steve uh, Bruce? Yeah, Steve Bruce, yeah. the wonderful <laughs> new Newcastle manager. He's going to do a great job. But just very quickly, talking about my... Loved Liverpool. The Netball World Cup, of course, yep. is happening in Liverpool and a, and a very, very exciting match between Australia and South Africa. Uh, uh, South Africa crawl, crawl, uh, clawed their way back to 50 to 49 with the two minutes to go, but Australia pulled away in the end at 155-53. So Australia will go into the World Cup final against the winner of either England and New Zealand. Another big matchup this afternoon. Congratulations to the Aussies. There you have it then, Australia into the final of the World Netball Final. And England, New Zealand later this evening. Later one, right? this afternoon, yes. Coming yeah. up soon. It will be a partisan crowd in there, I'm sure. So either way, it's going to be two teams meeting one another who don't particularly like each other. Yeah, there's a, it's, uh, netball's an interesting match, uh, interesting uh, sport. There's a lot of physical competitiveness. There's a lot of physicality too these days. A little bit more contact. Yeah. And the girls really don't mind throwing themselves in there and putting their body on the line. And you see that more and more. So Australia, you know, always one of the great powers in, in world netball. And really, this is a very, very strong team really working very well as a unit and uh, not so many stars just a, a group of players who really work together yeah. to do their best so it's going to be uh, very very whoever they come up against it's going to be a great final good uh, well congratulations to Australia as well because uh, they have reached that final keep you bang up to date with that second semi-final between England and New Zealand want to just talk a bit of the golf as well I appreciate we're 40 minutes in to the show and we haven't touched on the 148th Open Championship it is taking place over there at Royal Port Rush, beautiful part of the world and it's an Irishman who leads the way tied is Shane Lowry winner of the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship earlier this year he's on eight under par alongside the big American JB Holmes they go out 10 to 4 local time so that's 10 to 7 over here in the UAE they are both on eight under par and then some of the names that are hunting them down Tommy Fleetwood of course a winner of the race to Dubai on a couple of occasions he's seven under par Lee Westwood also at seven under par rolling back the years the 46 
26-year-old Lee Westwood. Then comes Cameron Smith and Justin yeah. Harding. Cameron Smith? Very interesting. He's only 25 years old, very young guy from Brisbane. He's sort of crawled his way up there slowly, uh, come up without not a lot of notice, but a very, very fine player. He's already made over 10 million in his career. Wow. Um, but he's, he's done it through just winning the odd tournament here or there and a very, very fine player. He's already won 10 million Aussie dollars or US dollars? Uh, that's Australian dollars. Australian <laughs> dollars, and he's still only only 25. Incredible. Justin Rose also in the mix. Six under par, the former US Open winner, of course. Brooks Kepka, the man in form, the world number one. Of course, what a year he's had. First, second, or is it second, first and second, I think it is, leading into this. He was second, of course, at the Masters. He won the US PGA. He was second at the US Open. And there he is on five under par, just three off the leaders. He's been incredible this year, Kepka. Unbelievable. Just a machine. So consistent, so reliable. And if the bounce of the ball goes a little bit different, he wins all of them. Yeah. You know, he's really, really remarkable player. And on this last, it's going to be a great uh, day's golf today. Really it great is. Very, very tricky course that, of course, uh, has already claimed some very big names this week. Tiger didn't make the cut. Uh, Rory McIlroy, of course, as we know, didn't make the cut. So it's a very, very tough uh, course. A lot of players have been really struggling. But the names that really excite me are Tommy Fleetwood, to see what he's going to do today, and Lee Westwood. Um, I mean, I think all of us here in Dubai have got a very, very special place in our heart for Tommy Fleetwood. He's such a great character. He's so lovely when he comes here. He's such a really friendly guy, stops, has a chat. He is and brilliant. I, and he's just a great guy, and I'd love to see him do well today. Yeah, Tommy Fleetwood, all eyes will be on him, of course. He'll have a lot of supporters, will Tommy. As you rightly point out, Alex, incredibly approachable is uh, Tommy and other names to look out for as well John Ram he's at four under par Jordan Spieth as well flying under the radar somewhat he's on five under par so he's the same as Brooks Kepka. John Ram who I know was many people's tips before a ball was hit in anger so he is in there Tyrrell Hatton at three under Dustin Johnson as well also at three under Henrik Stenson former open winner of course he's also at three under par alongside Ricky Fowler Russell Knox the Scotsman he's two under he's one under for his round thus far through two holes so some big names on that leaderboard we'll keep an eye on it as it ebbs and flows throughout the afternoon into the early evening I guess the big talking point from an open standpoint is that Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods both failing to make the cut more than Tiger in just a second for Rory an absolute shocker it's a heartbreaker especially listening to him talk before the tournament this was something that was really really important for him really special for him really important he wanted to do well in this tournament it's his home course he, he, loves the, it's, he loves the course. He's been there many years before. Uh, you know, he was out there practicing. There was a lot of people going to watch him even practice. You yeah. know, there was so much talk beforehand about him coming home, having a great tournament. You know, Northern Ireland's open. And unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for him. It's really sad for him. But you've got you to say with Rory, you've got to ask, well, where's the next step for him? Yeah. He's had some really, really big disappointments in the last couple of years. And where is he going to go from here? He's really got to dig into his bag of tricks and find something. We talked earlier about Novak Djokovic's mental mm. strength. Rory McIlroy, and I know Robbie has got a number of theories. He always seems to come back to the bag man, the caddy, Harry Diamond. Good friends with Rory growing up. Of course, Rory made the decision to ditch J.P. Fitzgerald, a man who calls Dubai home, a man who he had great success with, a man who he won his four majors with, for goodness sake, as his caddy. That's in part, I guess, some people out there would say, listen, look at Harry. Others say, perhaps, is golf front and centre for Rory now? He's recently married, he's over in the States, he's a very wealthy individual. Well, Rory McIlroy, does it worry you? I think it comes down to, as we touched on, big game mentality. I think Rory signed that Nike contract, what, around 2000 and... 
13, 10, 11? Uh, a little bit, a little bit later. And it was, I, I mean, it was. monstrous money for a man who at that point was about 24, 25 years of age. So you're absolutely right. And if you're losing those people around you that have brought you as far as they have, because as we say, sport is a mental game. Of course, it's about the physical that you put out on there in the field. But that mentality, and you need the good people around you. I think back, talking about incredible sporting days, Rory flopping, for want of a better word, that final day at Augusta. Yeah. 10, 11 again, I think, 11, I think it was. That was one of the most captivating days of sport for me personally, and I'm not big on my golf at all. <laughs> You've seen me at Top Golf in Las Vegas, Chris. <laughs> it's certainly not one of my strong points. But the very idea of seeing someone who, for three days, is at the absolute pinnacle of what they're capable of doing, and then wakes up one morning and just can't do it, and one goes off to the left, and then the next one goes, and you just see that mind, that strength of mind ebbing away in a top, top-level professional, I almost think that hangs in the back of his mind sometimes because it was such a catastrophic day on the course for him. And of course, he's gone on to good things and won big tournaments. But whatever happens, you've got to be Iron Man to not have those things planting yeah. a shred of doubt in your mind. And I think with all the pressure that came with this weekend, with all of those people interested, because that Masters tournament, of course, for him, that was a lot of pressure, almost the same as he's had this weekend. And I think he's just failed to deal with it. He shot a 79 in the open round. He shot a 65, the second <laughs> lowest round yesterday. I mean, that in itself is kind of why golf befuddles me in, in the sense that you can have such a bad day, you wake up the next morning and you go, that's a 14-shot swing, for goodness sake. He missed the cut by a shot. And as good as he was yesterday, he was just as bad on the opening round. He had, a, what, an eight on the par four first. That was a snowman eight, four over par, straight off the bat. And then he had a triple bogey on the 18th. His tournament is done and dusted in two holes. Well, it reminds me a lot of Greg Norman, a great Australian player, of course, but we'll never, ever forget his meltdown at yeah. the Masters, and he never really recovered from that. So people would say about Greg Norman that he was, a, he was a player, a great player who probably never reached the levels that he should have reached and won the tournaments that he should have won with the ability that he had, the quality that he had. So uh, sadly, at this point in time, Rory McIlroy is starting to fall into that basket of someone who's just maybe not going to achieve what he should have achieved. Let's hear from Rory McIlroy. Now, this was the Northern Irishman speaking in the wake of that magnificent round yesterday, but it all was a little too late. Disappointed not to be here for the weekend. Unbelievably proud of how I handled myself today, coming back after what was a very challenging day yesterday. Um, and just full of gratitude towards every single one of the people that, that followed me to the very end and was willing me on. Um, you know, as much as I you know, came here at the start of the week saying I wanted to do it for me, you know, by the end of the round there today, I was doing it just as much for them as I was for me. I wanted to be here for the weekend. Selfishly, I wanted to feel that, that, that support for two more days. Um, but, you know, today was probably one of the most fun runs of golf I've ever played. Yeah, I, it's strange saying that being standing here and, you know, having, you know, had a bit of success and, and, you know, won this championship before and just to be battling to make the cut, but, um, to play in front of those crowds today and, and to, to feel that, feel that momentum and, and, you know, you know, really dig in. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one to get over. Um, yeah, I'll probably rue the, the finish yesterday that, you know, dropping five shots in the last three holes. Um, but I felt like I give a good account of myself today and, you know, I can leave here with my head held high. Try, I'm trying not to imagine what is... That is the voice there of Rory McIlroy, who has failed to make the cut at his home Open Championship. It is JB Holmes, the American, and another Irishman, Shane Lowry, who lead the way eight under par. They are off at 10-7 to seven this evening and a wonderful little 
I guess, initiative this from the Open Championship. You can watch it all live. They're streaming it on the open.com website. That is a world feed. So if you are thinking, oh, where can I watch the golf? Get on the open.com, watch it all unfold. Stay with us. This is The Grill, live from Kicker's Sports Bar, where the game is always on. It certainly is always on. The game is on. Thank you and a warm welcome back to the show. If you are just joining us as well, very good afternoon. It is myself, Chris McCarty, joined by Matt Fortune and Alex Bruin. We are keeping an eye on all the live sport for you. Updates throughout World Netball. The Netball World Cup, if you are just joining us, Australia safely into the final a little later this evening. It is the host England going up against New Zealand. We've talked as well about the 148th Open Championship, but let's head on over to Asia. It is the English Premier League Asia Trophy. Wolves taking on Manchester City. Great for me to say that. I know it's only a friendly, but I'm loving the fact that football <laughs> is back on our screens as well. Did it ever really go away, Chris? It probably didn't. <laughs> Women's FIFA World Cup and all, but uh, some action in this one. Yeah, yeah, some action, Chris. Well, we're about, it says 21 minutes on the clock we've actually had about five minutes with Rui Patricio taking a bit of a nasty bang to the head requiring a great deal of treatment uh, about 10 minutes into the game luckily for him though he was then faced with what we're going to call the worst penalty of all time not that I want to go over the top during pre-season though no, what's happened is uh, Leroy Sane has burst through the middle in between Adama Traore and Connor Cody in the heart of the Wolves defence between the pair of them the Wolves defenders they've just bundled into the ground it's an absolute nailed on penalty Raheem Sterling has stepped up and bearing in mind what had just happened to the goalkeeper he could have probably just rolled it into a corner and been fine but for some well let's call it very English reason Raheem Sterling has decided to hit the ball as hard as he possibly can it's not even gone near the corner of the goal Chris it has gone high wide and not at all handsome so it stays nil nil and for Liverpool fans and Manchester United fans <laughs> a great moment rather Raheem Sterling missing a penalty indeed yes we'll keep an eye on it of course it doesn't mean much yes there's a trophy at the end of it but it is still pre-season it is all about building fitness ahead of that curtain raiser it is Liverpool Norwich that Friday night August the 9th the big match in that opening weekend undoubtedly is at Old Trafford it is Manchester United against Chelsea just on your beloved clubs boys and Alex you've already alluded to to the fact that you're a big Liverpool fan, delighted with the sixth European Cup at the back end of last season. It's been a bit quiet on the transfer front for you boys. It looks like I don't think he's going to sign anybody. Um, it looks like he's happy with the squad at the moment. And the real question is he's got two very, very talented young players, Ryan Kent and Harry yeah. Wilson. Harry Wilson, of course, was at Derby, did a great job there with Frank Lampard. Ryan Kent was up with Stephen Gerrard at the eight Rangers. And both these young boys did very, very well. They're now playing against, uh, against Borussia Dortmund overnight. They both uh, played up front uh, with Divock Origi in the, for the first 60 minutes. Both played very, very well. Ryan Kent scored a very nice goal, which was set up by Harry Wilson and also Fabinho. So the question is now, does he keep these two players or does he send them out on loan? And that's the really big question at this point in time. Given, given that you've lost Alberto Moreno, given the fact as well wow, Daniel Sturridge moved on as well, I appreciate that. Squad players, though. Yeah, yeah, squad players. Well, Alberto Moreno, most Liverpool fans, yeah, let, Good luck to Alberto in his future <laughs> career. Uh, Dan Sturridge, who, of course, during the week has got a, got a big fine for some betting, which yeah. is uh, very unfortunate. But listen, um, uh, this is the question. Do you keep these two players, or do you say, for terms of their development, do they go back again and spend a bit more time out on, or do we need them? Do we need to hold on to them for the ma for the tournaments we've been so poor in the last couple of years, which is the FA Cup and the League Cup? And I remember is, speaking you know, as well to Rio Ferdinand was over, and we are having a chat, uh, just name-dropping Rio Ferdinand, <laughs> and we were talking about the fact that Manchester United Fergie never stood still. It was always when you've had a really good season, 
bring in a couple of new faces, keep everyone on their toes, given the fact, and I appreciate, Matt, Liverpool did win the Champions League, and I appreciate, what was it, 13 games they won on the spin in the Premier League, and still they came up just short. They had a wonderful campaign. Is there not the worry there, though, that you've got to add a couple just to make those incremental improvements to hopefully go again next season? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris, but where do you strengthen that Liverpool side? You know, they've lost squad players, of course, but it's a real difficult sell to a player to say, come along and we're just going to, you're definitely second fiddle. That's a real hard sell, so that's where your blooding of the young players comes in. And I think pre-season is a great opportunity for Liverpool, in fact, for a number of clubs, to show that there is a production line coming through, especially at a club like Liverpool that take such pride in their young players that come through the system. You bed them in, Again, it's like a new signing. I know that's an awful phrase that has bogged down my life as an Arsenal fan for a great number of years, but it does certainly have that rejuvenating effect. You have the same argument whereby if you do spend big and bring in certain players, that might upset the balance. It's a real tricky balance for managers to do that. If Jurgen Klopp goes out into the window and, and, and buys Philippe Coutinho comes back, for example, or, or a, a number nine that is more of a goal-getting number nine than Roberto Firmino. That upsets a great deal of balance within the side. It's, it's, it's a win-win and a lose-lose situation, I think. As long as he beds youngsters in and fills those gaps with squad players, I think he'll be okay. And, of course, you've got to remember Oxlade-Chamberlain. Of course, yeah, he was out yeah. for the in a long, long time. He was very sharp last night, extremely sharp, getting back a lot of the pace and touch that he's had. And Rian Brewster, of course. These two players have been out for yeah. a year almost, and Brewster scored four goals now in three games in three of the warm-up matches, scored a very good penalty last night that Hendo let him take. So, you know, you've got these two players, and it is, as you say, I mean, they are almost like new players back to the squad, and I think he's got a very nice balance there at the moment, and he thinks, well, you know, if I bring somebody in, they've got to be pretty extraordinary, yeah. not only in terms of their ability on their field, but their ability to fit into this group. Yeah. And that that is where Alison Becker has been so remarkable, and that he's come in, and the way that he's just fitted into this group, fitted into the city, and has been extraordinary on and off the field. He's just become a legend in one season <laughs> at the club. Not that I want to give Liverpool a helping hand, but I, I honestly feel this, and any Liverpool fans listening, do let me know if you agree with this statement that I'm about to deliver is that I actually think Philip Coutinho is the missing jewel. I would bring him back and the reason I say that is because he's unlike anything else that Liverpool have. You've always got to evolve. You've got to evolve when you've had such a successful season. Sometimes you can be found out the following season and I just think looking at Coutinho, I take your point, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, fantastic footballer, came on leaps and bounds, such a tragedy that he was injured at the time where he was becoming a real focal point in that Liverpool midfield. Philip Coutinho for me, if he was to come back, gives Liverpool a different dimension from the central areas. The problem is that Philip Coutinho is in a difficult situation now because he's hated by Liverpool fans and he's hated by Barcelona fans. So, I mean, he's in a is really... He hated? Is he hated by Listen, Liverpool fans? The way that he, he, he fought so hard to leave, the way that he kept going on about leaving and wanting to leave, he felt he was so desperate to leave. Um, a lot of Liverpool, Liverpool fans felt very betrayed by that because you know he had had a great run at Liverpool he was much loved at Liverpool but the way that he he fought for to get his release to Barcelona and the Barcelona fans have turned on him because he hasn't delivered to the standard that they wanted. He's been talked about as being involved in this swap deal for Neymar <laughs> that's, uh, that's still doing the rounds and still being mooted. Neymar, of course, has made no secret over the fact that he wants a return to Barcelona. He wants out of Paris and PSG. Coutinho, Liverpool, do you like that? I don't mind it. You're absolutely right. You're bang on when you say it's, the, it's, a, it's something that they're missing. 
a creative 10, those long-range goals. I saw a stat, and I'm going to butcher it, something about <laughs> number of goals from outside the area, Liverpool in kind of the bottom three from the Premier League, because it's, it's, it's lots of pace, it's in the channels, it's intricate, it's neat and tidy around the box. You get a player that's clever, that's sharp from that kind of range, because they do have a lot of sit at the base midfielders, box-to-box -box mid, uh, midfielders, but they don't get beyond. Henderson doesn't get beyond. Cater doesn't get beyond. Fabinho doesn't get beyond. You get someone that's in there that's willing to either take a shot from far or get beyond his number nine. I think it would be a good fit. Whether or not he goes to PSG, they probably need to send about six players <laughs> to bring Neymar back this way, considering the amount of money that Barcelona have already spent this summer. It will be a tricky one to see. I think Alex is absolutely right. You're not going to evolve by bringing somebody back into the fold. 4-0-0-1. Get involved in this little conversation. Alex is smiling so he is a happy camper when it comes to all things Liverpool Football Club. I'll extend when we come back the same question to Matthew about Arsenal Football Club and already the grimace is on that face. Stay with us. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.